Welcome to the Women on Fire podcast. We're on a mission to help you have your best menopause and rest of your life. I'm your host, Jenna Moore. I'm an accredited integrative health and menopause coach, and I've studied nutritional awareness, women's hormones through a functional medicine lens, and explored various modalities, including breathwork, mindset, and positive psychology. Join me and my guests as we discuss how to navigate the natural life transition of menopause and growing older. From waistlines, waning libidos and what we are now we're over 40, we discuss it all. Women on Fire is sponsored by Menome, a New Zealand-based company by women for women. Menome specialises in scientifically validated all-natural supplements so you can experience freedom in menopause. Today's guest on Women on Fire is the beautiful Alison Bray Daddo. Alison, or Ellie as she is commonly called, was only 16 when she burst onto the Australian fashion modelling scene in the mid-1980s and many of us grew up with her. Uh, she graced the pages and the covers of magazines like Dolly, Cosmopolitan and Clio and she was a model for companies like Portman's, Nivea, Covergirl and Jackie E. So a lot of us grew up looking at her and thinking, oh I wish like I looked like her um, the way we do. Alison went on to marry TV presenter and actor Cameron Daddo, um, big heartthrob, um, in her early 20s and the couple moved to the United States for Cam's career. While there, Ellie quit modelling and fulfilled her dream of becoming a mother and the couple had three children and she also, she did not rest on her laurels. She worked as an educator, she taught something called body for mind exercise, she headed up a program helping couples prepare for birth um, and labour and postpartum and she went on to get her teaching degree with UCLA and trained in Rudolf Steiner education. So pretty amazing right? And she's also supported charities for a very long time. She's um, spent three decades sponsoring World Vision Children which is pretty special. Since returning to Australia in 2017 she and her husband now co-host uh, co the Hit 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 podcast, separate bathrooms, um, interviewing interesting couples. She, Ellie is also a writer on parenting and the joys of being a woman and she is a patron of Rise Up Australia which is a charity that supports domestic abuse families into new homes and safe lives. So that's kind of lovely. Her first book is wonderful. It's called Queen Menopause Finding Majesty in the Mayhem and it's described as a friendly, frank, compassionate and comprehensive companion for any woman experienced menopause and it truly is. Within the pages you get a sense of the lovely person that Ellie is. So I'm excited to share this interview with you and I hope you get a lot out of it. Thank you so much for joining us at Women on Fire today. Oh, my pleasure. Great name for a podcast. 
Isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> For women in menopause? Oh, yeah. I think a lot of women would relate to that term, woman on fire. I think we feel that a lot. <laughs> so I'm very excited to talk to you about um, your life and your experience and your book today. So for those who can see it, this is Ali's book. And um, for those that can hear, it's called Queen Menopause, Finding Majesty in Your Mayhem. In the mayhem. Yes. <laughs> because it definitely can be. How did you come up with that name? Well, it's funny. It wasn't, I think actually Queen, Queen Menopause was, it was the first name I came up with and, be, and it came from like, there's a right towards the end of the book. I talk about wanting women to really, really feel wonderful, you know, in their menopause somehow or some way, you know, I know that physically we might not be feeling wonderful, but to sort of like leverage it in some way that we can come through it or walk through it with some kind of like, you know what, I got this and I'm fabulous and I'm going to be okay. So I am the queen of my menopause. So that was sort of where it came from in that sense. And then, um, and it is mayhem, you know, it really is mayhem at times for, for so many of us. It certainly was for me. And I, I first floated that name and I, and I said it to my husband and, and my kids and they went, oh, so you mean your queen of menopause? And I was like, oh God, no, 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 no. I am not the queen of menopause. <laughs> no, no, I just want women to feel like they're, and they're queen of menopause. And so I scrapped the title for a bit and um, oh. yeah, I was going to go with, with something like magical, magical, mystical menopause or, or mayhem menopause, something like that. And, um, I'm actually really glad my, my editor went, no, nah, it's gotta be queen menopause. You've got to stick with it. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so that is hence the title. It's very cool. I think it works beautifully. Thank you. In the book, you call yourself a recovering model. Yep. And a recovering people pleaser. And I mean, so many of us grew up with you. You've graced so many of the key magazines and been with Portman's and Livia. Um, would you say that you're still a people pleaser? And what did that mean for you? Do you know, I am still a people pleaser. I am a lot less, like a lot, lot, lot less. And wow. I have a dear friend who's actually a psychologist, um, Rebecca Ray. She's actually written a bunch of books as well. Amazing lady. And I was sort of lamenting to her the other day about, oh, I've got to get rid of this people pleaser, you know, and she's like, why? And I said, oh, it just does me no good. You know, it does me no good. And she said, you know, she said, just don't, you don't have to get rid of that because that's part of who you are. That's part of how, why you're so nice and why you're so kind and why you're so generous. And so I kind of reframed it a little bit for myself. It's like, you know, I can still be a people pleaser as long as it's not at the sacrifice of myself because <laughs> that's where I always operated from. I was always at the, right. the bottom. I got the worst deal. I was like, you know, I just did everything as much as I could for everyone else and nothing for myself. So 
I do actually really like to please people. That is part of my personality. So yeah, so I still have that. Um, and I'm happy to say I'm happy with the people pleaser that I've sort of kept. Um, occasionally I do find myself, I still, the, the guilt of the people pleaser comes up, like the, the not so good part where I'm still struggling to go, what if I say no and I'm going to hurt someone's feelings. And so I definitely still struggle with all of that, but yeah, I've been able to say no and and put myself um, much higher on my list of priorities than I ever have um, through menopause, which I'm so grateful for. Mm, that's amazing. Um, because I think a lot of us are people pleasers, but it's quite lovely to get her take on that too, the, that positive side of it. Yeah, I like that as well. Yeah, because that's part of your charm, probably. I mean, not that I know you. <laughs> it's definitely part of who I am. It definitely is. Yeah, yeah. And that comes through so authentically within the pages of your book as well. Thank you. So thank you for coming um, and being a guest because reading that, I thought, I love this woman. I really want to share her message. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but the amazing thing too in there is that when you were talking about your modeling background, is that you were saying you're an ugly duckling, mm -hmm. which can be, it's very hard for some of us to relate to because we all thought you were so gorgeous. I know. And it's a weird, and, and when I sort of talk about how I didn't feel like I was anything special and I, Ooh. and I judged myself harshly and, um, you know, continue to judge myself for, for many, many, many years. And, you know, and that's still part of my personality too, that, you know, I'll still look at my body shape and just go, um, on some days. <laughs> um, and I know, and it's, and it's, I sort of, I see the look on some women's face just going, what? Like you, I, but, but you're on the cover of a magazine and how is this yeah. possible? And, and it doesn't, yeah, it's, a, it, it, I think it's just somehow it's inbuilt sadly into a lot of women's psyche that you're never enough. You know, you should be more like this. I should have been taller. I should have had bigger boobs. I should have looked like, you know, the Christy Turlingtons of the world. You know, that's who I wanted to aspire to look like or the Elle McPherson body shape, you yeah. know? So there was always somebody yeah. else to be measured against. Um, and it, that's why it always breaks my heart. And I, I understand it, but when women, say to me, I just wanted to be you when I was 16. I, I, all I, that's yeah. all I wanted was to be you. And I'm like, oh no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just, cause I would love my, you know, I've got a 17 year old and I just want her to be her. I don't want her wishing to be someone else, but you know, I get the admiration when we're young kids, but, um, but yeah, absolutely had my own self-worth struggles for many, many, many years. And I think that's amazing that you are so open about that in the pages because that will help other people look at themselves differently. Yeah. Yeah. When you realize that everyone goes through it, like, mm. I, I can look, and I'm sure that I'm sure there's other, like the super, super big models have gone through it too. The Cindy Crawfords. Yeah. And I have, I have no doubt they've had days where they've just gone, Oh man. Wow. Not mm. feeling my best mm. self. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's amazing. So you met your husband 
Cam, should we call him Cam or Cameron? You can call, either way, I call him Cam, so you can call him Cam. Cam. <laughs> okay. Um, so you met him at a really young age too. Yeah, I was only 20 when I met him and he was 20, 25. So, so young, so young. Yeah. We were just nuts, yeah. And he was the, the heartthrob and yeah, you were the model. And you moved to the US. Yeah. And you can hear a little bit of the lilt in your accent. I know. And I, and I didn't realize it was there until um, I got back, like the first year I've got, I've, we've been back six years now. And the first year I got back and I was talking to this Australian lady, we were, I don't know what we were doing. We were just admiring something at an art gallery or something or other. And she said to me, oh, what part of the States are you from? And I was like, I'm from New South Wales state. <laughs> I'm not from what? She's like, yeah, I, she thought I was American. I'm like, oh God, I don't even, I don't hear it. And I don't hear it with my children either. And they're apparently they've got a very thick American accent, but yeah, I don't even hear their accent anymore. So I think it's slowly, it must be slowly disappearing. I know I've started saying, I'm sorry, I'm, I st I've gone back to saying a jumper instead of a sweater. <laughs> I think I still say I fill my car up with gas. I haven't quite gone back to <laughs> petrol yet, but it's, it's all changing back. <laughs> That's a long time to live there. Though, yeah, it's a lot, 25 it? years, long time. Ah, so was it difficult to move back to Australia? It was really challenging. It was, okay. it was one of the hardest, most emotionally devastating things. I've done it in hindsight, it was the absolute right thing to do and the best thing to do. And I'm so, so glad to have done it. Um, right. but it was right at the beginning of perimenopause. I was emotionally like a wreck and then had to pack up 25 years of my life and my kids and all of the emotions that we were all having. I left all my security, all my girlfriends in one of the hardest physical times of my life. Yeah, and yeah. Just came here and didn't have really anyone. Didn't have anyone to talk to. Um, so I was calling my friends in America, but it just wasn't the same, you know, as having them pop yeah. around for a cup of tea. So, yeah, it was it was agonizing for a while. Why did you move back? Well, it was time? a couple of things. Um, it was certainly my husband was getting a lot more work back in Australia than he was in America. And the work he was getting was, a, there was a lot of musical theater happening. And so musical theater is, it's fabulous, but it's, um, it goes for a long time. Like he, at one point he was away for an entire year. Oh and my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And a I lot. think we, we visited him once. Um, and cause we were not, we were barely hanging on financially. And so that's why Cam was taking the jobs back here. So okay. he would, he was working out of Australia and paying tax in Australia. Then he was shipping the money back to America, losing all this money on the exchange. Then we would have to pay Californian tax on that money as well. So we were just going week by week with this, with the money. And I was working at a, um, at a school at that point. Um, just earning crap money doing that because teachers just earn crap money. It's even mm -hmm. less money in America. Um, and it was just such, it was, we were missing him. You know, the family was split and we were barely making ends meet. So actually he, he said, can we just give Australia a try? So we're not so split 
so we can try to, you know, um, have the family together and work to, you know, work here for a bit. And, um, but what became really more prevalent for both of us was, you know, my parents are 89 and 87 now. His parents are early eighties. We'd spent 25 years away from them. And it was, there was some health concerns coming up for my parents. And I went, you know what? Yeah, I can move back for my mum and dad for sure. And, and to give Australia a really good shake again for Cam. And, and it's, you know, as I say, it's, it's been amazing and it's been so beneficial to be around for my mum and dad, um, as their health has worsened. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's been such a good thing. So that, that's why we moved back. Oh, I love that. And Australia's embraced having you back too, haven't they? They have. Yeah. It's <laughs> been really, really gorgeous. And I've had a couple of women particularly who've just gone, I'm so glad you're back in the country. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> it's just been so sweet and so kind. And, and I think, you know, I'm always, I'm always still really blown away by the women who do remember me from the dolly days and the modeling days. Cause it was, yeah. it was a long time. It was 35 at least years ago. And, um, you know, it's amazing to think that, that I've, I'm still sort of stuck in someone's memory, but you know, we do have a lot of hopefully good memories from that time. And I know dolly magazine was a, was a time for a lot of women where things were really simple and really sweet yeah. and, you know, to be part of that person's memory in that place is, is, is a real honor for me. Mm, I think, yeah, it's kind of special times to a lot of women, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And going back to Queen Menopause, you share so much in the book, being raped, having your marriage go through very um, challenging times both early and during this menopause journey. Um, And I was thinking as I read that, wow, it can make you so vulnerable to share things like that. And then you address vulnerability yourself, but not so much in terms of the books, but in terms of menopause. Mm. And menopause can make us feel vulnerable, can't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Because you, you feel like you're becoming someone that you don't know. Like that was, Mm. that was certainly my experience. I just, I didn't recognize myself anymore. I was having thoughts and feelings and that I didn't understand. Um, like, like crazy stuff happening in my brain. And then of course, then you've got not only that, you've got brain fog as well and where you're like the memory's gone. And then, all of it's seemingly almost overnight, the body shape has changed and your skin texture's changed and my hair texture. I was like, what is happening? Who am I becoming? Um, so yeah, there's so many, um, or there can be so many challenging changes, you know, of what we go through. And I, that's why I just wanted to write about that so much and to sort of explore like, why is this happening? And why is this happening at this time of our lives? I mean, 
we go through physically, we go through so much as women anyway, you know, what we through periods and, and cramping and, you know, women that struggle with endometriosis and then people who have, you know, challenges with birth or miscarriage. It's like physically women are incredible with what we deal with. And then you get to this part of your life and you're like, oh, by the way, there's menopause. Um, Yeah, I was like, hold on. Like, what do you mean? This is what we're now having to go through. So it was really important for me to find silver linings, to find something that could be positive, something that we could sort of just look forward to in some way, shape or form. And um, as I write in the book, the more the more people I spoke to who were postmenopause, who talked about this zest and this newfound freedom. And I was like, OK, that I want to know about. Tell me more about yeah. that. Um, and look, it, it you know, I feel like it's one of those things you have to like really dig deep and sort of choose to find the positives in it and choose to sort of embrace it as much as you can, because it can be frightening and life-changing. But there is, you know, from all the women I've spoken to and, and, and even hence sort of writing the book, all the doctors I've spoken to as well, there's a lot more help out there now. um, And there's going to continue to be a lot more help as well as it, as menopause becomes much more of a global issue, which I think it is. Um, I'm really excited for that, that where we are putting more funding into it, we're putting more research, we're talking about it more. So I think we're going to see a lot more um, support um, mentally as well, emotionally for women around it, which is really good which I think is so important. And I love the way too that you bring forth the um, effects it can have on our brain and our thinking. And you call it Mr. Worry and Miss Negative and that negative bias that we get. And I think a lot of people don't think, A, that that's something to do with menopause and how how much it can impact your life yeah that's right and I mean look it 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 might it might be menopause it maybe it's not as well I mean often at this age we're struggling or not maybe not struggling but often we're juggling that's more of the word so many things if we've got kids at home they might be teenagers we might be dealing with the elderly parents we might be um stresses at work and So all of those things could absolutely be impacting you anyway, um, which is why it's so great to go to a doctor and get all your bloods done and get everything in balance. So, you know, is it hormonal? Is it not hormonal? But then, yeah, you layer menopause on top of all of that. And it feels like, you know, it feels insurmountable at times that, you've got so much that you're dealing with and yet your patience has run <laughs> run out and your memory's gone and you've just got nothing <laughs> left in the tank. So it's a lot, yeah. it can be a lot to cope with. I love that you said that though, that you're probably healthier now than you've been in years because menopause has sort of pushed you into focusing on your health. That was, it's absolutely been a huge benefit menopause for me. Absolutely. I just was not moving my body. I was not 
definitely not taking care of my health at all. I was mm. eating all the, I mean, I was, I was a healthy eater, but I was still eating all the, the crap stuff I, I knew was not good for me. That was making me feel yuck. I was like, eh, whatever. Um, and you know, yeah, just, I, you know, your body catches up with you, um, as you age. And, yeah. and that was where I realized, oh my God, you've just done nothing for yourself, nothing for your health for so long. And now you're in a health crisis and you've got to do something. And that's what, I, I mean, that's why I want women to not get to that health crisis. I want women to start in their thirties going, yeah. okay, I've got some changes ahead. What can I do to get ready now for menopause? So they go into it and maybe their symptoms would be so, so much less if they go into it with a much healthier, well, A, an understanding of it and knowing what's ahead and knowing, okay, I need to get, you know, throw the cigarettes away. Maybe I need to reduce my alcohol intake, you know, get my body moving a bit more, you know, things like that, that we all hear about, anyway you know all of those things are a health reason anyway to, to be better but um if you know you've got menopause ahead those things really make an impact on your hormones so if you can change that early be really good hugely hugely and do you find how has the book gone for you has it been really well received and women are getting that message look i and I, I honestly have been nothing short of blown away by the reception to the book. I, <laughs> I, cause I thought, would I go out and buy a book on menopause? Probably not. <laughs> um, you know, like at the time I was writing it, I was like, I don't know if I would buy a book on menopause, who the hell is going to buy my book on menopause. And especially as I wasn't a doctor, um, I didn't think I was, I, you know, at that point I was writing, I was felt fairly like low on the totem pole of knowing anyone, knowing who I was and who would care about my opinion. I mean, they're going to go that X models talking about menopause, who cares? <laughs> so I have been blown away. Um, and it has been an absolute delight to, talk to, you know, go do these author talks, talk to as many women as I possibly can do podcasts like your podcast that we're doing right now and, and, and get to talk more about menopause and get it out in the open. And it's really, it's really morphed into a lot of just talking about menopause. You know, uh, I mean, the book, the books become almost inconsequential in a lot of ways because now it's just like, yeah, let's just keep talking about, you know, women's issues and, and, and women's health. So um, it's been really, really delightful and, and amazing. And, and part of my, some of my favorite things have been going to the smaller country towns that I've been invited to and, talking to women who are so desperate for information and support because they might only have one GP in town. He's an, he's wow. a, he's a 75 year old man who's never studied Ooh. women's hormones and knows very little because it wasn't in, in the Ooh. medical books back then or whatever. Ooh. And they are desperate. They're desperate. And so that's, that's being able to sort of open up conversation and support in some small way those women has been really, really amazing. I think it's a big way probably because that must be making a, such a difference. 
for so many women. Yeah, I really hope so. What did Cam think of you writing the book? He was amazing. He was an amazing support. He was so he was so proud of me. He kept on just like he was my he was my cheerleader the whole way through. I didn't um, I didn't give him bits to read because I thought. I don't know if he'd be that interested. Uh, <laughs> I gave him some bits um, and just cleared some things with him. But yeah, he didn't read it. He didn't read it from front page to back page until it was certainly published. And um, and he really he really liked it. He really liked the book. I think he genuinely. Of course, he was going to say that anyway. But he genuinely yeah. did like it. And um, yeah, he's he's been an amazing support through it all. I think that's wonderful because I've noticed you guys um, are held up really as role models for being married for over 30 years, which is no small feat. So it was interesting to read in your book that you had a tough time at the beginning and then you were totally frank. And a lot of women go through this. There is marriage pause about how you felt like you didn't like him or maybe you should get divorced or he was driving you crazy and yet you loved each other. And of course the intimacy side of things as well, which is such a big thing for so many women. So that's a huge thing. And you've come out the other side of that. Yeah. And I'm, I am so grateful that I hung in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful because it, when it became clear that it really was so much about the men, about the menopause wow. that was driving this wedge between us, it wasn't just something had changed. He didn't become a different person. <laughs> um, I just became a lot more irritable and I had a lot more crazy thoughts and I was a lot like so sleep, sleep deprived um, that everything that he did was annoying, but he was doing the exact same thing, you know, and I had to, I also had to inform him about what was going on as well. So he understood because he was just absolutely at a loss and right. didn't understand what was happening, why I was the person I was, why I was so cranky and teary so much and didn't want to hold his hand anymore. And he was like, what is going on? You know, and they want to, guys so much want to fix things for you. Um, but I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know how to tell him to fix it. If there was something he could have done that was going to fix it overnight, he would have done it. But once, once it sort of became clearer and clearer to me what was really happening and then I could talk to him about it and, um, you know, just say to him, I just need you to see me as, as me and not someone who's broken. And I need you to just love me the way I am. And I was giving him scripts to say, I was telling him things. Can you just say this to me? When I, when I talk about how ugly I feel and how gross I look, I just need you to just tell me that you love me. You've always loved me. You know, just, just reiterate that for me because <laughs> sometimes he would struggle as I wrote in the book and he would say shit that was like, honey, that is not the right words. <laughs> I'm like, nope, let's try this conversation again. <laughs> because yeah, that's, 
I think it's wonderful that you share that too. And there's that older man that you spoke to and you told him what you were writing a book on. Yeah. And thinking that he wouldn't be interested. And can you share that little tale? Yeah, it stuck with me so deeply and and shocked me so Ooh. much because uh, it was he was probably like I think he was like maybe early 70s maybe somewhere around there and mm -hmm. lovely man and we were just talking at some event it was some radio event for cam and I, I got to come along and he was at my table and um, we were talking and he said you know what do you do and I said I'm actually writing a book oh I love reading what what kind of book are you writing and I said nothing you will ever read or find interesting uh, which is often my way of putting myself down before somebody else can <laughs> part of the people pleasing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I recognize it. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's a book on menopause and straight faced, you know, so heartfelt. He said, I so wish I had have had a book on menopause, um, you know, 20 years or so ago. He said, my wife and I didn't stay together because she went through it and I didn't understand it and either did she really. And I just wish I had have known back then because maybe we would have stayed married. And I was like, I was gobsmacked that he said that. And it really broke my heart because I thought how yeah. many marriages have actually menopause torn apart, you know? And again, you know, sometimes menopause wakes women up and goes, actually, this is not the guy for you. He's been a dick for too long and you need to get out. That happens too. But I know yeah. that it also is a massive challenge for a lot of couples and, and marriages do break down and, and it's, that is sad, you know, that is sad yeah. that that's happened all because of a, a medical natural but a medical reason you know that, that we all mm. go through that every woman goes through mm. and because it was swept under the carpet nobody would talk about it um so it's it's good to see that shift because that story just touched my heart as well and also because i work in the menopause field as well so i research a lot and i stumbled across a Facebook group in the States actually uh, a few months ago and it was for men and there were so many men in there with broken hearts because the woman that they'd loved for 30 years or forever however long had broken up the relationship or walked out and and they were left blindsided yeah oh that is heartbreaking Mm. So there must be huge numbers. Yeah, I think so. I, from what I understand, it's the highest rate of divorce is around that 45, 50, 55 age group. It's also, I believe it's the highest rate of suicide for women as well around that yeah. age. Yeah, which is yeah. also really alarming. Yes, it's hugely alarming. Um, I've, I've been looking into that too because... There needs to be more recognition about that and support. Yes, absolutely. Because you can go to some very dark places. Yep. But then again, you can get some gains as well, right? Yep. What would you 
What have you seen those to be? What have you felt those to be? What, what have I felt what, sorry? What sort of gains have you seen in, in any of the women that you've spoken to or in your own life? What have you experienced in terms of the positives? Yeah, there's there's been a lot. There's actually really been a lot. Um, funnily enough, the one thing I constantly hear is how women find their creativity. Um, and isn't that a wild one? And and I think it's Ooh. like where's that that sort of we're we're repurposing our hormones in a way. Like yes, the yes the estrogen goes down and the progesterone goes down, and but also I've heard that it sort of gets reallocated in a way as well. And so I feel like it gets where that estrogen, which is that sort of that love and progesterone is sort of that, that love hormone that we're sort of so giving to others into our children and to our spouses yeah. or whatever. And once that sort of reallocates itself and, and we, we lose it in a way, I feel like it just opens up this space for ourselves that just women kind of go, you know what, what do I need? What do I want now? And I remember painting as a kid, or I want to follow this artistic streak that I've wanted my whole life. And I found that to be fascinating, that that was a, a common thread for so many women. Um, and, and again, wow. that, that feeling of, of women talking about this freedom, freedom to feel that they can say exactly what they feel, you know, say what they want, say what they need, which they've hidden for so long. Um, what do you call that? The something club? Oh, don't give a fuck club. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can say that word but on the podcast, but I just did. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a huge common theme with women where it's like, ah, I just don't care anymore. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to not go. Um, and I think there's a way that we begin to see ourselves so much more than the physical. And I think that yeah. has absolutely been the best thing for me where, again, I had it, you know, being a model, it was all about the physical. It was nothing about what mm. I had to say or do or, or think. And so I, I had that set up from a very early age. It was all about how you looked, you looked, you looked. And of course, in, you know, society and social media and the press, it is all about how women look. God forbid we yeah. age, you know, that's yeah. the first thing that women, you know, in the press, what they talk about, oh, she's aging well, or she hasn't aged well, or she's a mother of three when they're describing women, you know, it's not just like, they just say a name, it's like mother of three, or it's just a weird thing that they do. Well, it's not really yeah. weird. It's just been around for years, but you know, it's, we're, we're very much judged first and foremost on how we look and how we're aging. Um, and, you know, of course, aging is a disease that needs to be fixed if we are yeah. listening to anything in the press or, you know. So um, I feel like a lot of women, you know, certainly postmenopause are just like, it's not about how I look, it's how I feel. And that is a massive shift and that is certainly where I am so much more connected to myself in that way now which I'm so grateful for it's it's like what do I what do I need to do about 
you know, my sore knees, not like, oh, how do I get a thigh gap? You know, it's like, okay, I need to be doing this exercise or I need to be rubbing this cream onto my, into my knees, or I need to see this chiropractor. So, and it's such a, it's just, it's just the best shift, um, taking that emphasis on how we look and, and just, I mean, I just think we're so much more powerful because of that. And, we are the wise women of the world, you know, the over 40, over 45s, we have done some stuff and we have experienced mm. some things. And if you're in the business world, you have, you know, I bet you you've gotten somewhere pretty exceptional in your life. And I think that we need to be exalted a lot more than we are in the Western society. And I talk about that in my book a lot too, about how in other cultures where you age yeah. and you are the wise women, you are, mm -hmm. people go to you for advice and, um, you know, and, and respect, but we don't have that in, in our society, unfortunately. So I think that needs to change, but I feel like, you know, that is part of how we begin to feel. And I think that that's really good. Yeah, that's great. Sort of taking your power. Yeah, absolutely. And Ayurveda have done that for years, haven't they? The maid, the, the maiden, the... The mother and the crone? Yes, thank you. The crone has such bad vibes, but that does actually mean wise women. That's right. That's right. And I mm. think the crone just needs to be described differently. Like, yeah, but I think, yeah, because the crone certainly sends an image of like a, <laughs> a little warty old <laughs> bent over. Yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> our, our fairy tale image of the crone needs to go because a crone can look like, you know, Emma Thompson or, you know, Helen Mirren or, you know, these incredible women, you know, of the world that we're seeing. And they are incredible and they have some amazing things to say. Absolutely. On this very subject. Yes, exactly. Don't they? Yep. Mm. Yep. So you have an educator background. Yep. Do you feel, I mean, probably it's a no brainer. But do you feel like there is a lot more education that needs to encompass partners, families and workplaces? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, I think we can actually go back further, you know, in, in the sense with women. Um, I, I had a really interesting experience on one of my very first author talks. Um, which I'm sure I didn't do very well on because I was so nervous. But anyway, <laughs> it was a small group of women, so it was good. But in the audience was a teenage girl because she'd been dragged along by her mum. They probably had to pick her up from netball practice or something. And and I was halfway through talking and the girl turned to her mum and said, why, why don't we learn about this at school? And yeah, and I thought, you know, that is actually really powerful. Like imagine if our girls, they don't have to go into the big depth discussion about it because the most important thing they're dealing with now is the beginning of their menstruation and what to do mm. around that. But to know that menopause is the end of the menstruation and what they might expect. And so they've heard the word, they understand it. They know that it's, if they can celebrate the beginning of their cycle, maybe they can celebrate the end of their cycle. 
I think yeah. there's like a seed that we can plant there at the very least for, for, yeah. for girls. Um, but yeah, the education for workplace, I spoke to an incredible lady, her name's Thea O'Connor and um she is head of menopause uh at work in australia and so she's working creating policies menopause policies in the workplace and i think wow. that is genius just to have policies Ooh. in place where men you know your ceo boss who might be a male understands what it is understands what you're going through knows that you might need to have more air conditioning in your office or you know a few days off here or mental health days or and if they know about it maybe that trickles down to the relationship at home with his wife or his sister or his daughter or whoever um you know so i think the more information that's out there the better it is for everyone not just the menopausal woman but everyone who's coming across a menopausal woman yeah because it affects everybody yeah absolutely um and the nucleus and the fact that perimenopause i didn't i had never heard of the term and i even not only heard from one woman a few weeks ago and she said to me excuse my ignorance but what is perimenopause so probably because we're talking about this and we're immersed in the space we feel like everyone knows what that is now. Yeah. But apparently that's not so. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. No, mm -hmm. we're not. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There still needs to be a lot more, a lot more information. Mm. And um, I know New South Wales um, has allocated $40 million to women's hubs. That will I be. I read that. Yeah. So that's really going to focus on menopause and you know, which will be amazing. Um, I do Ooh. hope again that they get them out to the country areas because that's where it's most needed, I think. But um, yeah, so more things like that, more funding like that, more, they, I, I, I just wish that doctors who are, or students who are learning to be doctors now, that there is like a month set aside for hormone yeah. health. <laughs> So they know exactly what's going on when someone, a woman comes to them and says, I feel weird. I feel suicidal. Mm. You know, I've never felt this before that they're not just given antidepressants and sent on their way. You know, maybe that helps a little bit, but you know, what else is going on? You know, all those things that women need to be taken seriously. And, and if the doctor doesn't know then, and they can't help the woman either. Yeah. And that, still happens quite a lot. It does. Unfortunately. It does, yeah. So if you had a message for a woman who's entering perimenopause, I mean, I know you've got lots of messages probably, but what would be a standout one? I think number one is hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, hang in there and know that you won't always feel the way you're feeling right now, that there is definitely light at the tunnel, that it's not forever this feeling. And don't be afraid to A, seek support. And if you, if that one, if that doctor you go to doesn't give you what you need, like in the sense of support, find someone else. 
even if it's through telehealth, even if it's the Zoom doctor, you know, start asking your girlfriends, who did you go to see? Who supported you through this? You know, there's, there's um, find the health practitioner that is going to listen to you and actually give you support to get through it because there is, there's an enormous amount out there that, that can really make a difference and actually can really give you a lot more health options as you go through the rest of your life. I know that they're finding now um, with HRT that it's this whole future proofing thing that it helps with heart health and it helps with bone density as you as you get older. So, you know, I didn't go HRT, but maybe I should have, um, you know, because I know that they're, they're just finding more and more health benefits with it. So I think that you know, don't be afraid to ask questions and, and really find the support that you need. And it, and if you can't, even at the, at the very least, if you've only got one doctor that's, you know, close to you and not anywhere, you know, physically able, just get, ask them to do a workup on your blood work. Get yeah. all your, get all your things, get your thyroid tested and your cholesterol and um, your B vitamins and you know, all, all of those things, get all those things as much as you can, a full health workup. So you can at least look at that and go, okay, this is what I can do to give myself a, a fighting chance to, to deal with the hormones, <laughs> the hormone yeah. shift. Yeah. And what about, would you have a message for women in postmenopause? Oh, I just want them to keep rocking them rocking their socks you know just to keep at it and what whatever they're doing and you know to, and and for those postmenopausal women you know talk about the good the good things with the women um coming up in perimenopause like reassure them we hear so much negativity around menopause and it can feel really frightening and overwhelming so if those postmenopausal women can sort of you know, give a good shout out to the good things that they're experienced to, to the younger women. That would, that would help as well. You will get through this. Yes, absolutely. This too shall pass. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, your musings, your amazing book with us today. It's been such a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and, and, and chatting about it all. Oh, thank you. Let's keep this conversation going. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women in Fire. If you love what we share, please subscribe and give us a rating and or a review. In addition, visit the Men Me YouTube channel where you can subscribe and watch all of the interviews. That's the best way to support this podcast so we can continue to bring it to you. Thank you for your interest in midlife, menopause and women on fire. fire let's keep this fire.